This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs is in his 41st year as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. I wanted to tell you what a great service you provide to this community. I listen to your show every week. Thank you for what you do for our community, for all the parents, coaches, and athletes. And now, here's your host, rated one of the best therapists in Kansas City, Missouri, by OnlineTherapy.com, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show here from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810, WHB in Kansas City. And yes, you're right. It's 7 o'clock. We've moved our time back to 7. We're no longer on at 6. We're on at 7 a.m. Central Time. An extra hour of sleep for everyone, and hopefully you will enjoy our show now as we move back to 7 o'clock here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. Our shows are podcasted everywhere around the country. Rebroadcast in a number of cities throughout the country as well. And hope you enjoy the show, The Sports Psychology. I've been on the air for 31 years, the last 21 here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. I love doing this show with you each week as we delve into psychology and the mental side of sports. And when we look at the mental side of sports, there's so many issues that come up. And this past year, with the Summer Olympics and now the Winter Olympics finishing up, the topic of mental health has become a prominent discussion point. We've seen numerous athletes in both Olympics talk about the importance of mental training, talk about the importance of sports psychology, but also talking about the whole issue of mental health in and of itself. You know, when we look at life, we're, we have physical issues, we have psychological issues, emotional issues, spiritual issues, nutritional issues, well, lots of things. And if you listen to the show, you know I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same but the one with the stronger mind will come out on top. So what exactly does the stronger mind mean? Does it mean you're all physically and mentally together? No, not necessarily. But it means you have the ability to focus, concentrate, be mentally prepared, have the right attitude, have the right focus, and have the confidence level to perform at your potential. This past week, we've seen an issue that's come up a number of times in the past year, and that's the topic of mental health with Ben Simmons, the NBA player who's now a member of the Brooklyn Nets. He was traded this past week from Philadelphia to Brooklyn. And he's well-publicized, stated. He's had psychological issues he's had to deal with. It kept him, prohibited him from playing with Philadelphia and ended up getting traded this past week to Brooklyn. I've heard many people on the air say that this is all an excuse, it's all BS about what he said about mental health. Well, first of all, we don't know, I don't know Ben Simmons, and probably most of you don't know him either, but obviously he's had some issues he's had to deal with, and hopefully he's gotten the right help, and hopefully he's getting better. But nonetheless, there's been a lot of negativity expressed towards him about his ability as a basketball player, but also who he is as a person. We, we don't know him. Only a certain group of people know him as a person. I've seen numerous Olympians 
over the past two weeks who haven't performed as well as they were expected to, getting blasted on social media, called losers, called weak people, called mental midgets. They've been made fun of because psychologically they didn't do as well or as they'd hoped to or they wanted to. So today's show is going to be about this. And joining me today is a good friend, someone I've known for, gosh, close to 30 years, one of the best psychiatrists in the Kansas City area. His name is Dr. Rory Murphy. He's worked with me on a number of cases before, dealing with a number of athletes. He's worked with a number of athletes privately, and he understands this whole concept. Roy, thanks for joining us this morning. I really appreciate you taking time to be with us. Well, it's good to be here, and always good to talk to you, Andy. It's my pleasure. So let me ask you, first, before we get going, just give us a little background on your experience and your knowledge of this area. Well, I've been in private practice for close to 25 years in the Kansas City area and, and treated many professional athletes and at one time was consultant to the Kansas City Royals and have treated a number of other professional athletes uh, as well as collegiate athletes and high school athletes uh, over the years. And um, so I'm familiar with some of these issues. What do you think? Let's start with, with society in general today and we'll get specific as we move into the show. What do you think the biggest, what's the word I'm looking for, drawback, uh, complaint about mental health in athletes is, Roy, from your perspective? And, you know, so many athletes will say, I have a confidence issue, I've got an anxiety issue, and then they get made fun of and picked on on social media from all over the place. Why, why do you think that is? Well, they're under the spotlight, aren't they? And they're... They're targets of a great deal of criticism um, from all different directions. And think about how it would feel. It's rough. I mean, the fans are rooting for them, but no matter how great an athlete is, uh, a person may be, they they don't always have their best game. And I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you can throw a football 60 yards or kick a 60-yard field goal or hit a 450-foot home run or, you know, go 20 for 21 from the free throw line or, or, you know, shoot six under par, which I know you do, by the way, um, you're, you're still human. You're, you're going to screw up. You're not, everything's not always going to be great. You know, Michael Jordan made 50% of his shots. That means he missed half of them. Kobe Bryant, two years before he retired, broke the record for most missed shots in the history of the NBA. You know, this past year, we've seen Simone Biles who just got engaged recently you know, take a break from competing in the Olympics because she had the twisties where she was scared to do the vault because she's flipping through the air and didn't want to land on her head and break her neck. We had Naomi Osaka pull out of the French Open tennis tournament because of the anxiety she was feeling and experiencing. And we're hearing many, many professional athletes now in all, in all levels need to take mental breaks. So from your perspective as a psychiatrist, are, are we – finding many people using this now as an excuse? Do you think people are using this as, an, oh, I, I'm not doing well, so I need a mental health break? Well, they're, they're humans, right? They're not gods. They're not demigods. For, for many fans, they're heroes, and we would like them to be perfect, and, and perhaps people feel disappointed in their athletic, um, the people they admire as athletes when they don't perform perfectly, but they're still human, right? We have to be realistic about it. And there's nothing that says 
is it because you're a, a professional golfer or a professional basketball player or an Olympic skater that says that you can't suffer from uh, a psychological or, 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 you know, emotional disorder? They're human, right? So what if, what if you were going to be talking with one of these Olympians, and I, of course, have previously worked as the team psychologist for the U.S. cycling program back in the 80s, and we won nine medals in the 84 Olympics, and I spent many, many hours with these athletes. If, if you were going to be talking to them after, say, a poor race or a poor performance, and they've got to deal with something that, that I tell all athletes to get off as at the professional level, which is social media, what would you tell them? That uh, it's good to set goals for yourself and and to prepare yourself and work hard to perform to the best of your ability. And it's also good to remember that nobody succeeds 100% of the time, and that's okay. Just like you said, Michael Jordan missed 50% of his shots. Imagine what it would have been like for him if he thought he had to make 100% of his shots. It's not going to happen. So the big thing you would say to an athlete is no one's perfect everybody makes mistakes mm-hmm. learn to accept it learn to deal with it and be able to move on with it but don't dwell on it and don't obsess about it right that's in the past and now what's your goal for today i'm sports psychologist dr andrew jacobs joining me this morning is dr rory murphy psychiatrist here in kansas city we've worked together on many cases before with professional athletes and you know we're having a great talk and discussion about this because athletes are people Athletes have feelings, and we're talking about the role mental health plays in sports. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Back at our old time, our new time, and our best time, 7 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Kansas City. And joining me today is good friend, psychiatrist, Dr. Roy Murphy. We're talking about the role of mental health in sports, mental health in society. So, Roy, let, let's, let's get into this whole social media thing. You know, um, obviously, social media is here now. It's not going away. It's part of our lives. And uh, people have Facebook pages, Twitter accounts, TikTok accounts, Instagram accounts, all this stuff. One of the things I tell all the professional and collegiate athletes I work with is to get off of it. Get off of social media. If you need to have a site up, let somebody else monitor for you during the season. Stay off of it because here's the deal. If you're a professional athlete, a collegiate athlete, and a prominent one, and you screw up, you drop a pass, you miss a shot, you miss a kick, you false start, something like that, and consequently don't do as well as you'd hope to do, you're going to get blasted all over the place on social media by people who don't know anything about it. And the perfect example I want to use and get your thoughts on this goes back to this past summer when Simone Biles pulled herself out of the Olympics temporarily because she had the twisties. There is a very prominent site where a talk show host, a podcast host, came out and called Simone Biles a sociopath because she did that. And he said, this is the Olympics. You represent the United States. You can't do something like that. And then he made fun of her. And I'm sitting here thinking, who is this guy? And what? I'd like to see him do one of those vaults and see how he does. Let me get your thoughts on that. Well, it's just upsetting to, to be reminded of that. And, and, and you're right. I remember when that happened. And 
it's upsetting even to think about it again, but the, the judgmentalness of that person that said those things, I mean, there's a lot of bullying that goes on um, on social media, and it's just, it's extremely unhealthy. It can be extremely damaging and toxic, and I, I agree with you. You're 100% right. Um, if I were a professional athlete, I would avoid that or, or have someone manage that for me and just not get mixed up in that in that stuff. Why do you think some some athletes feel the need to do that, though? Is it is it an insecure part of their, their persona? They've got to have a social media account, and they've got to be on it all the time to get acknowledgments from people. Is that you think there's there's a, a weakness in their in their self confidence and their persona about why they need that? Well, I don't think it's a one size fits all uh, answer for that. There could be some that have political agendas and various other reasons why they do that. There there could be some that are, you know, hurt by or stung by what was said about them and are going to try to defend themselves. And it seems to me, from what I've seen, uh, sometimes that just makes it worse. But there's probably more than one reason why they feel a need to do that. So what would you say if you're working with a team and – this issue goes on. You've got athletes who obviously are going to make mistakes and screw up. If you're consulting with the team, working with those athletes, how would you try to help them get through it and not let the overwhelming uh, voices from people they don't know get to, get to them? And, and, and how would you help them deal with that? Well, I think acceptance. I think we have to accept that we're not perfect, as you said earlier. And we have to realize that there's always going to be critics out there. You know, if you caught 998 passes out of a 1,000, there would always be people out there that criticized you for not catching a 1,000 out of a 1,000. And if you're going to let that bother you, how are you ever going to feel good about yourself? Obviously, here in Kansas City, we've got a pretty good football team that just barely missed making it to their third consecutive Super Bowl. Earlier in the year, the team was not playing well. They were 3-4 and four before they ran off an 8-0 streak of victories. At the beginning of the year, Patrick Mahomes was getting blasted on the media, and a lot of press were saying, what's wrong with him? What's the matter with him? And I'm sitting there thinking, there's nothing wrong with him. He's a human being. He's, it, he's not playing as well as he has before. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with him. That means that things aren't clicking. But, and I said it on this show I felt like the team was going to pull it together and figure it out, which they did. Uh, but, you know, here he is, uh, and, and I have to say, I've never met Patrick Mahomes. I've listened to him speak many times. I think he handles himself extremely professionally. When the, when the Chiefs lost to the Bengals, he came out and said, look, I didn't play well. I have to take responsibility for it. It's up to me to do a better job, and I've got to work on that. I think that's a sign of maturity that's well beyond a lot of other athletes. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, I respected that very much as well, and he didn't blame anyone else, and I know your listeners are in many cities around the country, so not everyone's a Chiefs fan, but I'm... Oh, now, come on, Rory. Everybody's a Chiefs fan. (laughs) Well, everybody loves Patrick, I think, except maybe not when their team loses, but, you know, I certainly have a lot of respect for him taking responsibility, and good for him, is what I say. Why do, why do you think a lot of athletes need social media, Rory? What do you think it is about them? Is it, a, is, a, is it an issue with their self-confidence that they need to have that, 
uh, adulation thrown at them all the time, even though it can oftentimes be negative? Well, there could be some athletes that get addicted to the praise and the adulation that, that can come with their, uh, you know, their success and their, you know, their great ability, and, and they can do things that not everybody can do, and they get a lot of adulation for that. And I'm sure that feels very good. And uh, some of them uh, are better at accepting it when um, things don't go as well. Um, and some can handle that, and some have a hard time with that. And, you know, they're just people. They're just like you and I and everybody else we know. Sometimes it's hard to have people slamming you. Yes, it is. We're all human. We have feelings. We can, we all have sensitivities to things. I know when I work with athletes in my office, one of the things I, I have, I have lots of people make lots of graphs out and lists out for me. And one of the things I have them do, I have what's called the circle graph. And it's four concentric circles like an archery target. And what I do is I have, have the uh, clients graph the people in their life. In the center circle, I have them put the most important people in their life, the people that mean the very most to them. You know, usually they're, they're parents, their kids, their spouse, whoever that might be, best friends. Second circle are people who are important but not the most important people. You know, people like teammates, coaches, uh, some friends. The third circle then are people who are in their life, but they don't have any feelings for them positively or negatively. They're just sort of people they have to deal with. Then in the fourth circle, I have them write down the names of people who they don't care for, that they don't like, who nonetheless have an impact on them. And, and you know, after we do that, it's interesting when people say, well, you know, really the only people I care about are the first two circles. Everybody else, it doesn't matter. But oftentimes I let the people in those outer two circles have such an impact on me, it knocks me down. Want to get your thoughts on that? Well, well the saying I have about it is, uh, if you never made any enemies in your life, you never did anything else either. So uh, you, you can't take everyone's opinion equally. And uh, there's some people you just have to say, I don't care what you think. And if they learn that, then then the criticism that comes from that outer circle, as you describe it, could kind of bounce off their backs. And if they take that criticism too seriously from people that aren't, that they shouldn't, then that's going to probably be a bit of a problem for them. Well, good advice. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Chakers. Joining me is psychiatrist Dr. Rory Murphy. We're talking about athletes, the role of social media, and the topic of mental health. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week in Kansas City. Our show is live at 7 a.m., 7 a.m. on Sundays, and rebroadcast in a number of cities throughout the country. And our shows are also podcasted. You can go to my website, winnersunlimited.com, W-I-N-N-E-R-S, unlimited.com. Listen to it there under the podcast app or on many of the other podcast apps around the country. My guest this morning is Dr. Rory Murphy, a good friend who's a psychiatrist here in Kansas City. We've known each other for a long time. Tremendous respect for Rory. When I have anyone that needs to get on any medication, I will refer them to him. And uh, quite frankly, everybody that's seen him has loved the, the care and the way he's helped them out. Um, so I want to thank you again, Rory, for being with us today. And, and you know, one of, the, one of the topics when it comes to mental health and athletes 
inevitably these two words come up, self-confidence. And it, it, it's always something that I see with young athletes, I see with high school, collegiate, professional, Olympians at all levels. It's the whole issue of how they feel, how they feel about themselves, how they believe in themselves. Can they believe in their abilities, their skills, or do they find that they have doubts? And with the Olympics just competing, the Winter Olympics just finishing up, you know, we've seen so many stories come out where athletes have talked about, I was confident, I felt good about myself. Then we've heard some who didn't do well say, I lack the confidence to really do it. I don't know why, but it wasn't there. How would you define confidence from your perspective? How do you feel it gets destroyed? And how do you build it up? Well, it's interesting to reflect on self-confidence, not just for athletes, but for all of us. And I say that self-confidence is built on two main pillars. One of those is feeling loved and valued by the people that are important to us, which for children is, is their families primarily, but increasingly as they grow, also their friends and uh, with athletes, their teammates. So feeling loved and valued by others. And the other main pillar that self-confidence uh, is based upon is uh, personal achievements, personally achieved, as, as I like to put it. And so, you know, we're all in the same boat with that, but uh, not everybody comes from the same background in their childhood and in their uh circumstances of their friend and family uh, situation. So some people have a stronger base there than others. And some people um, then, if they don't have a strong base there, can place a lot of the emphasis of their self-worth and their self-confidence on their achievements. And in the area of athletics, you can see how that could be um, kind of well, what's the old saying? Putting all your eggs in one basket. If if things don't go well there, it could be very devastating. So it varies a lot from one individual to another. Um, uh, self-confidence has uh, multiple roots for every human being. Dr. Rory Murphy, a psychiatrist here in Kansas City, is joining me today on our show, The Sports Psychology Hour. So, Rory, as you know, I co-authored a book with Kansas City Royals Hall of Famer Jeff Montgomery and USA Swimming. Olympian uh, Hall of Fame coach Peter Malone. And our third chapter in the book is my favorite one. It's called Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun. And mm. in, in the book, we emphasize that, especially for younger athletes and for parents, it's important to learn how to fail, how to lose, not that you have to like it, not that you have to enjoy it, from from the perspective, oh, it's great that we lost, but that you have to embrace it from the perspective that it's going to happen. And what I found throughout my career working as a coach uh, for younger kids, when my, my kids were younger, I coached some of their sports teams, as well as, as a sports psychologist for, for all kinds of teams, is that there always seem to be some athletes who just can't deal with it very well. They lose their temper, they'll slam their gloves, they'll kick the dirt, they'll cry, They'll get angry, and, you know, they, they, and, and they'll talk about, I can't lose, I can't fail, I have to do well. There's all this pressure. Why is that? Why can't people just say, you know, I mean, not to have to like it. Oh, I failed, that was great. But why can't people accept the fact that it's part of everything we do 
And it's a tremendous growth and learning experience if you take it that way. Right. Well, I think some people have more narcissistic vulnerability than others, and their self-esteem is fragile for whatever reason, whatever their upbringing or life experiences may have been. And those people, if they find themselves in an environment that's equipped to criticize and and, um, blame them, are prone to be, like you said, angry and slamming their gloves or throwing their bats and whatnot. Whereas if those same people find themselves on a team that's supportive and understanding and acknowledges, hey, we all have a bad day from time to time, uh, they're more prone to thrive. So um, not everybody has the same resilience in the area of self-esteem. So let me ask if you can share maybe a story about a client, obviously not naming them. Have you ever had an athlete that you've had to work with who's confidence was very, very sensitive uh, to losing and, and, and had trouble dealing with it? Well, it brings to mind, you know, an athlete that I worked with for some time that had been a professional athlete on, on one of the uh, – someone that we all would have known uh, if we're sports fans and and – and came to the end of the career and couldn't perform because of age and injuries. And uh, that was extremely difficult for that man uh, because for all the life, since, since a middle school person and a high schooler and college and then a professional athlete with all the accolades and then to say, I can't do what I used to do anymore was extremely difficult. So So how'd you help him get through it? Well, you know, part of life is realizing that we don't need the same thing when we're seven years old and when we're 14 years old, when we're 21 and when we're 20 and 35, things change and I have to move on and ask myself, what is it that I need to be doing with my life now? And I don't have to be doing the same thing when I'm 35 that I did when I was 21. And that sometimes people need someone to talk to like you. It helps a lot of athletes that way, I know. And I've talked to many athletes that you've helped that way. And they have to get some perspective on it. You know, it, bring, it brings up uh, when I worked the Olympic team. After the uh, cycling events were over in the 84 Olympics, we were there. We competed in the first week. And the second week, we got to hang out in L.A. and go watch all the other Olympic events. And, gee, that was a lot of fun. I got to see Carl Lewis win two gold medals and saw the gymnastics, saw swimming. But one day, two of the guys on the team and I rode our bikes down to the beach. And I've shared this story before on the, on, on the show. Um one of the guys that just, well, they both won a silver medal and we're sitting there and one of them just start, all of a sudden started crying. And I'm like, what's, what's, what's going on? He's a tough guy too, real tough guy. And he looked at me and said, what am I going to do now? Hmm. So well, I thought we we're going to get something to eat. He goes, no, no, not that. <laughs> he goes, what am I going to do with my life? I mean, I'm done. I'm done competing. And I said, well, haven't you ever thought about it? He goes, no. I've never really thought about it. So we, we talk quite a bit about what am I going to do with myself? And 
you know, he, he ended up, he's, he coached cycling and then he owned a bike shop in San Diego and he's been pretty successful with that. But, you know, he, all he knew was cycling and that's, but he wanted to stay in it. So, you know, we transitioned him from competing to, you know, being a coach and a teacher and using his knowledge that way and also, you know, having a shop. So I, I think the identity that so many people, you know, you train, it's like I tell collegiate athletes, you survive youth sports to make it to this level. And everybody in collegiate sports is good. Some are better than others. But a lot of it has to do with your work ethics and your self-confidence and how that's going to allow you to succeed. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me today is Dr. Roy Murphy, psychiatrist here in Kansas City. We're talking about the whole issue of mental health and athletes in sports. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Welcome to our show here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And if you're wondering, what's he doing on now? Our show has been moved to 7 a.m. on Sundays now. So we all get that extra hour of sleep before you get to listen to me every Sunday morning here in Kansas City. As, as I mentioned, our shows are rebroadcast throughout the country. And they're podcasted on my website, winnersunlimited.com. And joining me today is a good friend, Dr. Roy Murphy, psychiatrist here in the Kansas City area. And we're talking about mental health, the psychological issues with sports and athletes, how they deal with, you know, being a person, being a human being. And we've talked about social media. We've talked about confidence. So I want to get into a little bit about sportsmanship in our last segment here, Rory. And and one of the the big stories in the uh, Winter Olympics has been the Russian figure skater, 16-year-old figure skater, who was allowed to compete even though she was she's on banned substances. She apparently has some medication for a heart heart issue, and it's a banned substance. But nonetheless, she's still been allowed to compete. There's been uh, numerous statements made. The father of one of the American skaters is just livid about this, and has come out with a lot of lot of uh, statements stating, you know, he wished his daughter never skated. Now, it's a corrupt sport. It's not fair. Why do you have rules when you allow people to break them blatantly and still, you know, go on to do something like this? So the topic of sportsmanship, you know, it's it's something I've talked about on this show for years. And it, to me, it's an imperative and necessity uh, when we look at issues that should be taught to coaches uh, who are learning how to coach. Because I think a coach who learns proper and good sportsmanship, then that filters down to the kids and the parents. From your perspective as a psychiatrist, why do people cheat? What's the reason for that? Uh, selfishness and, uh, uh, you know, there's there's a lot to be gained by winning, and some people will win at all costs. So it's, um, it's hard to be too sympathetic towards cheaters, um, but it does go on. And for the athletes that are uh, competing against someone who's cheating, uh, it really does produce those strong feelings like you were talking about, the father of the competitor feeling. I mean, who likes it if they feel that it's not fair? I mean, that's hard to deal with. Where where does the word insecurity fit into this? Well, people are insecure, so they want to get an edge or an advantage because they don't think they have what the what it takes. 
and I'm sure that goes on. Do you think when someone blatantly cheats and ends up winning a competition of any kind and they know they've cheated, do you think in, there's something in there where they, they feel some remorse or guilt about it or do you just think they don't care and they just – they're glad they won. If they had to cheat or not, doesn't matter because they got that, that got that prize. They got that first place trophy or, or ribbon or medal, whatever it might be. Well, it's, it's not a one size fits all. That's what I always like to say. And there are probably some that really don't care and and they don't have feelings of guilt or remorse about that because they maybe they landed a big contract to play on a professional sports team or, you know, professional ice skating for Disney or whatever it might be. And But there are probably some that feel guilty and do it anyways. But, uh, you know, who knows what kind of pressure they're under as well. I mean, what if what if they were put in uh, training for figure skating when they were three years old and spent, uh, you know, 20 or 30 hours a week practicing at the insistence of their family all throughout their childhood and they're told that the whole welfare of their family depends upon them winning this gold medal i mean we could villainize them but then again imagine what it'd be like to be in their skates so to speak or in that family or in that family yeah so there's a whole variety of characters out there. Remember, what was it? Nancy, uh, Nancy Tanya Ke- Harding? Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. Yeah. I mean, but it shows the kind of pressure, too, that, that some of these athletes are under and the lengths they'll go to. And One of the big words that I work with, with athletes and their families on, it, it, it's a surprising word to think of, but it's it's the word balance. And when I talk about balance, it's not that everything's equal, that everything's you know the same weight. It's what's where are you at now, and what's more important today? You know what needs to take priority. And if if things are balanced, that means you've got your priorities straight. To me, winning is 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 about did I do the best I could today? It's not as much about what place you came in, but it's about the effort you put in. And failure. Losing, to, losing is, is not doing as well as you want. Failure is giving up or quitting. You failed to accomplish a goal. You, you quit on it. You, you didn't accomplish it, whatever it might be. But it's inevitable if you play sports. You're going to lose. You're going to fail. I think what, what I think we need to teach kids more of today, and quite frankly, especially youth coaches, how to teach losing, how to teach failure. I think mm-hmm. if we can, you know, encourage coaches when you're coaching a baseball team that when one of the kids strikes out or makes an error, throws the ball away, whatever it might be, don't yank them out of the game, sit them on the bench and glare at them. You know, support them when they come off the field. Tell them it's okay. Let's work on it. We're going to work on a practice. And indeed, at practice, you talk about why did that happen. Let's try to find some ways to, to do better at it. I mean, you know. Baseball is a game of failure. Every every sport is about failure. Mm-hmm. In our last few minutes here, can you share a story with us about an athlete you've worked with who struggled with failing before? Have you? Can you, somebody can come to mind your mind who just struggled with the fact that that failure was was just not acceptable? 
Well, what comes to my mind is, is one that met with a great deal of success, but when he met with a lot of success, uh, it was the uh, public attention and the the microphone stuck in his face and the cameras focused on him that made him feel so uncomfortable because as a contrast to some of the things we've been discussing uh, this morning, this one didn't like to be the center of attention. It made him incredibly nervous and to the point where he almost uh, left the sport that he was in. And so I found him to be a, uh, a very interesting counterpoint to many of the other athletes I'd met over the years. So how did he handle that? Well, he, he almost left the sport, and the, uh, the coach and the general manager of his team had to go and track him down in a different state and coax him to come back, and he got himself some uh, counseling, and in his case, actually some medication, and, you know, because he had an anxiety disorder that uh, was called social anxiety disorder. And being the focus of everyone's attention uh, just shot his anxiety right through the roof. And it's just a good example of the fact that athletes are are human like all the rest of us, and and human beings can have, uh, you know, emotional problems, mental disorders, whatever you want to call it, and... They're not exempt just because of the fact that they're successful professional athletes. And in his case, I know that he got the help he needed and he continued to uh, play professional sports and, and did exceedingly well. This past year, Dak Prescott was heavily criticized for talking about the fact he needed to go talk to someone regarding the, the uh, suicide of his brother. And in that exposure... He was blasted by a number of people, including Skip Bayless, who was a couple of years ahead of me at Vanderbilt, who stated, you know, why would you want to him, or excuse me, why would you want to have him as a leader in your team when, when he's having issues with that? And I, I talked about it on this show. I thought the fact that Dak Prescott came out and shared the fact he was struggling was a sign of strength rather than weakness. As we wrap things up, Rory, isn't that really what it's all about? We're all people. We're all human. We all screw up. And to come out and say publicly, hey, I need some help, it's a good thing. I think it's good for the athlete, and I think it's good for our society and gives permission to other people to go and seek the help that they need and to talk about the things they need to talk about. So I think that's very healthy. Well, listen, my friend, it's been great having you on this morning. It's wonderful talking to you. Great advice, great comments. People like to get a hold of Dr. Roy Murphy. How can they reach you? They can always reach me at my practice at Psychiatric Associates, and the number is 913-438-8221. Thank you so much for joining us, Roy, this morning. Great comments, great great feedback, and uh, uh, advice for many people. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. You can always reach me several ways. Follow me on Twitter at, at DRJSportsPsych. Give me a call at my office, 816-561-5556. I work with athletes all over the country. My website is winnersunlimited.com. Everything's podcasted there. Send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. Take care, and we'll talk to you next week. This is the Sports Psychology Hour.